Hi. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, we are a community that wants to uh, celebrate uh, this season a little bit differently. And so if you are interested in doing the gift card thing, Mondo, could you uh, put up the slide that gives us information about where to buy those cards? There you go. Marinerschurch.org slash give card is the place you want to go if you want to participate in that. We want to welcome you. We're very glad that you're with us. Uh, Whenever you see this many people that are dressed up, you know it's Baby Dedication Sunday because it never, people come in suits and like they look sporty. I mean, well done, sporty families. We're very excited that you are here. Bring some class to this joint. I've got my winter flip-flops on, so it is that time of the year. Now, we are in the middle uh, of, a, of a series that we're doing uh, that really is just based on the liturgical calendar of the church. The beginning of the church year starts, oddly enough, with the birth of Jesus. And oddly, I've meant that sarcastically. Uh, it begins, the, 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 you count four weekends back from Christmas, and that begins a, a season in the church calendar called Advent. And Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. And the idea is that the church... Uh, participates and prepares themselves to celebrate the advent of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, not just back then, but we look forward to it coming again. And we do that because this is our story. This isn't Santa's story to tell. This isn't Macy's story to tell. This is our story, and I don't know about you, it gets harder and harder uh, to, to fight against the tides and the currents in our culture that literally measure this whole season by how much we spend. 54, no, $52.4 billion was spent on Black Friday weekend. $52 billion. Now, everyone says, hey, that's great news because evidently we're in a recession and people don't have money. Evidently we have $52 billion worth sitting around. But, you know, what's fascinating is that even in the most conservative estimates, you could eradicate the worst poverty on the planet with $52 billion. And so you just kind of go, really, we're going to celebrate the birth of the Messiah by going berserk and into debt. And you just go, nah, this is our story. This is our story. And so we're a community that we just want to fight, literally, to be reminded about why we do this whole thing to begin with. I mean, Christmas is three weeks from today. And do you think it's going to be slow and peaceful between now and then? Absolutely not. It is crazy. My wife and I are sitting now with our calendar, and we, are li- we literally have stuff every single night for the next three weeks. And you're just going, this, this sounds like the great way to celebrate the baby Jesus. So um, what we're going to do is uh, the traditional themes of Advent, our hope, we looked at last week, peace, Joy, love, these are the facets of the story, the announcement given by the angels. So let's go to Luke chapter 2. If you need a Bible, uh, I highly recommend you grab one to tag along and uh, let one of our ushers know they're in uh, a blue color because we know God's favorite color is blue. It's the color he made the sky, my eyes, and the ocean. And that's why Luke chapter 2, and if you are new to our community, my robe, I forgot my robe. It left it at the dry cleaner, so I'm sorry I'm so informally dressed. Now, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. You ready? In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And for those of you keeping score at home, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Just in case you were wondering. 
And everyone, now see, I think that's funny. I think it's funny. He just throws this little parenthesis in there. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child and claiming that God was responsible. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. I always feel like Linus when I read this part. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, which means more angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left, uh, had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Now, I don't know about you. We have, good morning. Boy, there is nothing like having to walk right down in the front row. They were baby dedicating. I totally understand they were baby dedicating. It's not their fault. I'm just saying it's awkward when you got it. When, when... I mean, not that I blame you for leaving. I don't know about you. Whenever, whenever I read this, I, I, I have to be honest. Like, I've heard it so many times, and I've heard it read so many times. It, it's kind of nice and sentimental, but it, it kind of loses its punch. Would you agree? I mean, it's not, it's not, I mean, it, this is absurd. What we just read is absurd. Oh yeah, a Messiah's being born, announced to shepherds, a baby in a manger. The eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus being born in a manger. And we just kind of go, well, sure. Of course she was a virgin. Yes, of course. I mean, and we say all of this with a straight face as if it were perfectly reasonable. Guys, this is ridiculous what we're doing here. And that is why people would prefer to worship Santa Claus. Right? Because, I mean, literally you just go, this is awful. So I'm on a single-minded quest to remind ourselves that this is ridiculous. So what we're going to do is we're going to do 15 minutes of painful, painful history. Painful history. We're going to be looking at PowerPoint slides and coins and inscriptions. And you're going to be saying, Mike, this doesn't help me find peace on the earth. And I'm going to say, it doesn't. But relevance was 20 minutes away. All right, so 15 minutes and my goal is to unsanitize the Christmas story. Those little nativity scenes, those are bogus. Those are inventions. That's not how it was. In the nativity scene, the baby Jesus doesn't have a cone-shaped head. He should have a cone-shaped head. <laughs> right? The, pe- the babies that we just dedicated had cone-shaped heads when they came out. 
And nobody told me. Nobody told me how gruesome the children were when they show up. They hand you the child and you're going, this is straight out of the Ridley Scott alien movie. This is awful. And Mary, serene as can be. And Joseph, I mean, imagine you're Joseph. Who, who had to give birth? Who helped Mary with the birth? Who caught the child? Joseph would have been scarred from that ordeal. That's, none of the, that's not the history part I was referring to. Now, we read, Luke is a historian, so we read, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And we just kind of go, oh, okay, well, that's nice. Oh, welcome back. You missed literally nothing. <laughs> For those few moments you were gone, you missed nothing. And everybody said, amen. Now, when you hear about Caesar Augustus, you've got to understand, you would have known exactly who this was. And packed into that phrase, in those days, Caesar Augustus, was a whole world of symbol and meaning that we just have to dig back into to understand. All right, so thus begins the 15 minutes. Julius Caesar, before he was a salad, and before Caesar came to mean ruler, he was the last, he was the last vestige of the Roman Republic. He got too much power. He was assassinated 44 BC on the Ides of March. He had adopted his grandnephew, a man named Octavian. Octavian decided, once his father was assassinated, his, his adopted father, he decided to throw a, a great games, a, a, a festive games during the summer of that year in honor of Julius. During the course of those games, a comet appeared in the sky, leading Octavian to declare that that was proof that Julius had ascended to the right hand of Zeus and was a god. Octavian took the Caesar name and began calling himself son of the deified one. Son of God, in other words. His father was God, so he was the son of God. And he began a 13-year campaign to exterminate those behind the assassination of Julius. The Roman Republic is thrown into civil war for 13 years. And, and, and if you read any Roman history, I mean, this was a very tragic period because when Rome shook, the whole world shook. So for 13 years, the civil war raged. Until at 31 BC, Octavian defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra in the Battle of Actium. He comes back to Rome and is accorded the name Augustus. Augustus is a title that means the illustrious one. Now, the great gift of Caesar Augustus to the world was what? The Pax Romana, Roman peace. Caesar's boast was that he brought peace to the earth. And so he began to receive honors, not only a son of God, but a savior, lord, and bringer of peace to the earth. Mondo, fire up the telestrator. 
This is a very faith. This is, there he is. Say hello. Hi, Caesar Augustus, with a nice little infant just hanging on the hem of his robe. Here's a close up. This is his Facebook picture. We've got all kinds of coins and inscriptions. And now, my question is how did Rome bring peace to the earth? Did they do it gently? No, they did it through violence and military conquest. So the Roman peace was found at the point of a sword. So you, will, you would read things like their aim, the Romans' aim was to punish, to avenge, to terrify. Germanicus, a general, laid waste to the country with sword and flame. Neither age nor sex inspired pity. Places sacred and profane were raised indifferently to the ground. Only the destruction of their enemy would end the war. This is how Roman peace came about. The Romans are plunderers of the world. If the enemy is rich, they are insatiable. If poor, they lust for domain or land. Not east, not west has sated them. They rob, butcher, plunder, and call it empire. And where they make desolation, they call it peace. So the gift of Caesar was peace. But how did peace come to the earth? Point of a sword, military conquest. In fact, we have records about 60 years before the birth of Jesus, a Roman general came, burned Emmaus uh, to the ground, a couple other cities around where Jesus was bound to live in the future, and literally enslaved 30,000 Jews. When Jesus was a teenager, the town of Sepphoris was destroyed, and the Roman general Verus uh, crucified 2,000 Jewish men. Five miles away from where Jesus was growing up. I mean, how did Roman peace come to the earth? Through conquest. Now, Caesar Augustus, check this out. This was a decree that, and this is wordy, so forgive me. But this is a decree that said his birthday, September 23rd, was to be be the beginning of the Roman calendar. Okay, the beginning of the new year was Caesar's birthday. In fact, they had a 12-day celebration of Caesar's birthday called Advent every year. Isn't that interesting? And there would be these little communities called ecclesias that would gather to celebrate Caesar. Isn't that fascinating? What are the churches called to celebrate Jesus? Ecclesias. It's just uh, just interesting. Now notice this decree. The most divine Caesar, who we should consider the beginning of all things. Hmm. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending towards disillusion, he restored it and gave gave the world a whole new aura. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Now check this out. Augustus, whom providence filled with strength for the welfare of men, and who being sent to us and our descendants as what? Savior. Has put an end to war and set all things in order. And having become God manifest. Do you know what that word is? Emmanuel. Fascinating. And having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. Now notice this. Jump down to here. And whereas finally the birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. Euangelion. Which is the same word that's used in the scriptures. Notice, this was a, a, an inscription. 
Augustus Caesar, the son of a god, imperator of the land and the sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. Another inscription, to the autocrat Caesar, the son of God, the god Sebastus. Sebastus means one who should be worshipped. Horus, we've all read Horus. Neither civil strife nor death by violence will I fear, while Caesar holds the earth. Why? He brought peace. He brought peace to the earth. He was called Lord, Kyrios. He was called Savior. The good news about Caesar was called euangelion. You have to understand, when you read the Christmas story, go back to Luke, and you read about cute shepherds sitting in a field, and there's some sweet angels announcing the six-pound, eight, or eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus. It was a bit more subversive than that. Do not be afraid, the angel said, verse 10. I bring you good news, euangelion. I bring you good news that will cause joy for who? All the people. Anytime Rome had a victory, was it good news for all the people? No, just for wealthy Romans. This is good news for all the people. Today in the town of David, a what? Oh, hold, hold on. I thought we already had one of those. I thought that job description was already filled. A Savior has been born. He is King. We translate it Messiah. The word means King. Christ the Lord. Kyrios. And then notice, the angels appear. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Okay, hold on a second. See, if you would have heard this or read this in the first century, in those days, Caesar Augustus, you would have understood immediately. We've already got good news. We have a Savior. We have a Lord. who We have a king who runs a kingdom. And the way peace comes to the earth is at the point of a sword. And now... Announced to shepherds, an infant in a manger, good news about his birth. He's a savior, he's a Lord, and he'll bring peace. Now, do you think that's coincidental? You think that's coincidence? I don't think so. I think God's smart. Just as kind of a, I just need you to know, it's kind of a presupposition I have. Rome was incredibly tolerant of other gods and goddesses as long as you gave allegiance to Caesar. So if they would have called Jesus anything other than those titles, the temptation would have been to say, I can proclaim allegiance to both. But by taking the exact same titles that were applied to Caesar Augustus and the exact same boasts about peace on earth and applying them to an infant in a stable surrounded by smelly animals given birth by two teenagers in the backwater province of the most (laughs) dumpiest part of the empire. Do you understand what's being done here? You now have to choose They can't both be Savior. They can't both be King. They can't both be Lord. 
Jesus represents the possibility, the dangerous possibility of a different kingdom, a different peace, a different saving, and a different lordship. And this is good news for everybody. How does Caesar bring peace? Conquest, coercion, torture. How does Jesus bring peace? As we'll see, suffering, service, love, humility. And let me ask you a question. Anybody singing about Caesar today? Are millions of people gathering to celebrate Caesar Augustus today? I mean, we know intuitively that suffering, forgiveness, service, humility, those are better things, but who wants to do them? I like it when other people do them. I don't want to have to engage in them in myself. So we have to be reminded that Jesus' way wins. Because I would point to you, you who have the audacity to proclaim in the midst of this crazy culture that the birth of this infant changed everything. That literally this announcement of good news changed everything. I mean, if you, and and see, there's no middle ground here. You either have to take this as the most subversive announcement ever, or you just have to say, ah, it's myth like everything else. Because it claims to be the announcement that Caesar's the pretender and Christ is the real king. And that all of the ascriptions and all of the worship accorded to the Caesars it was just a parody of the worship that should be given to this Jesus. See, that's what Christmas is. Christmas isn't, hey guys, I hope we're all warm and fuzzy and you have a great time with your family. I hope people like your gifts. Do you see how shallow and petty that is next to the real thing? The real thing is, listen, when times were darkest and the boast was there was a Savior and a Lord who brought peace. I have ears for cell phones. Talk about robbing peace on earth. I was in a good point right there, too. I had my hand down like this. I mean, you know, it's kind of... I was, I don't know what I was doing there. I just all of a sudden I woke up and I found my hand down there like this. And all of a sudden I become self-aware. We have a little TV screen there, and they asked me once, Do I did I want to watch myself on this little TV? Could you imagine? I'd be so distracted. Man, that dude is handsome. So when we celebrate and retell this story, do you understand what we're doing? We are reminding ourselves that every other pretender for worship is just a pretender. We're reminding ourselves that this this ridiculous announcement of a virgin giving birth in a stable to an infant was powerful enough to dethrone within a couple of hundred years the mightiest empire the world had ever seen. Because nobody's singing to Caesar today. Go to Matthew chapter 5. How does peace come to the earth? Caesar's way? Conquest, intimidation, coercion? Or Messiah's way? Suffering, service. See, Jesus comes subverting the world. How does he do it? By loving it. 
I mean, it's just the most ridiculous thing, really? That's how you're gonna win, you're gonna love, and you're gonna sacrifice yourself, you're gonna suffer, you're gonna die. And that's how you're gonna conquer. Yep. And did it work? Here we are. 2,000 years later, I mean, I can't believe there are this many of us that actually believe this. This is ridiculous. If you live in a world where virgins can give birth like this, don't, don't you think God can provide money? If you live in a world where victory comes through suffering, are we really, should we really be so afraid of suffering ourselves? I mean, we give this lip service like crazy, but do we really understand the depths of how subversive this announcement is? Are there Caesars today? Are there Caesars today who beckon for worship? Yeah. How about the Caesar of consumerism? Just start there. Our entire American economic system is based on you going into debt. Hey, what should our response be to terrorism? Go shopping. (laughs) Seriously. That that was it, right? After 9-11. Go shopping. And I hear all of these prognosticators. Well, people have to spend money. And that's true, certainly. But we have a whole world system built on spending money. And we now have places of worship where money is spent called malls. And we have a liturgy that we undergo. I mean, and seriously, how many of us get life from buying new stuff? Oh, not many are going to acknowledge that one. And I'm not beating up on us. I'm just saying, is Caesar alive and well? Absolutely. And so guess what? We're picking between those two kingdoms all the time. The kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of Caesar. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, okay, okay. So how does peace come to the earth? Conquest? Intimidation? Suffering? Service? Humility? Kindness? See, you and I have the opportunity to be ambassadors of peace, believe it or not. And imagine if over the next three weeks, you ended up on Christmas Day having oriented yourself around the way of Jesus rather than the way of Caesar. And you think, well, okay, this sounds so like ethereal. What does this mean? All right, here's some ideas. Ready? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What's the response of Caesar? Run them over, tell them they're number one using the wrong finger. I mean... Right? But what's the way of Caesar? Revenge. Punish. What's the way of Jesus? I'll bless my enemies. Right? I'll pray for those who person. I mean, and it sounds so weak. See, we don't believe this actually works. We don't believe the world works this way. We believe we've got to fight for what's ours. But I just want to keep saying, for proof that it works, who are we singing to today? Who are we worshiping today? It's not him. It's not Caesar. Somebody cuts in front of you one of those nice long Christmas lines. What's the way of Caesar? Well, insist on my rights. Right? You're at an awkward family dinner. (laughs) 
What's the way of Caesar? Well, alienation, isolation, punishment, give up. I'm blowing them off. I want nothing to do with them. What's the way of Jesus? Reconciliation, forgiveness, honesty, love. I mean, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? See, I'm in for peace as long as it's just for me. But the invitation, I think, if you really understand this whole Christmas deal, is to become a peacemaker yourself. To be an ambassador of the peace you've received. And how do you do that? You do that by subverting every other pretender to peace. And how do you do that? Love. Forgive. Restore. You're always choosing between the way of Caesar and the way of Jesus. Always. How does peace come to the earth? I mean, think about you're driving... I have three kids. How does peace come to my minivan? I mean, there is an artificial peace I can bring to my minivan, right? The next, the next one of you says a word, I will drop you off on the side of the road. You could have other parents. It's fine. There are lots of children that need daddies. I'll find another one. That hasn't worked, by the way. I've tried that one. My little boy said, Daddy, you can't give us up. You have too much money invested in us. What does that mean? So you can bring a temporary counterfeit peace through threat, right? Of course. But that's not lasting, And that's not the peace of God. And so brothers and sisters, I mean, what sits before us when you celebrate this story, it's very familiarity, robs it of its power. You have to understand this, this Jesus is the most subversive and radical presence this planet has ever seen. You have to understand he came to dethrone every other power, every other principality, and every other pretender that could claim to be worthy of worship. And I don't want my kids to grow up thinking Christmas is a time to be nice. Following Jesus means you just tip well and you're pleasant. I want them to understand that this God so loved the world that he subverted it by loving it so much. He subverted it by serving it and dying for it. And literally that the life that's really life is found in giving yourself up for it. See, that's what I want my kids to be about. I don't want them to understand following Jesus as learning to be nice as some internal state where my sins are taken care of. This is radical. Thank you. I don't know if that was for me or just keeping him out of trouble, but I'll take even pretend applause at this point. And so we sit and we tell the story and we've lost the sense of awe and wonder. Really? God with us? Really? Of all the ways for Jesus to come, he comes in defiance. He comes in loving subversion where you have to pick. You're allied to one or you're allied to the other. And there is no middle ground. So we 
this morning are going to celebrate the peace that has come to earth by uh, participating in the Lord's Supper. We believe that Jesus was a big fan of sinful people because those are the only kind of people there are. And if you're new to the Jesus conversation, the thing that might surprise you most is that the religious people were most skeptical of him. The sinful people loved him because his news was good news for everybody. And so if you're here and you're like, ah, I can't do this religious stuff. I've got a past. I've got a present. <laughs> I've got a whole bunch I'm trucking in here. Just know, this table is for anyone who would call upon the name of this Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. This is good news. That's why it's so subversive. Because Jesus does a, an end round <laughs> around every, an end run Around and end round? <laughs> Dang it. I become self-aware again, and all of a sudden I go, end round. end round. He doesn't end run around. But this is a, kind of a big point. He doesn't end run around every other system, institution, or priesthood that would stand between you and God. He is now the only mediator between God and humanity. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we do it in loving defiance of the Caesars of our age. We say this is our story. This is our season. This is Emmanuel come to earth. And yeah, you could have your long lines and your credit cards and your debt and we'll do presents, that's fine. But we will not be swayed from understanding the truly subversive nature of what it is we sing and what it is we celebrate. So we invite you to come as we sing and take some of the bread, dip it into the juice, and then go ahead and eat whenever you'd like to. Sometimes we do it all together. We're not going to today. There are stations in the back. It's not takeout, so don't just grab some and leave. That kind of <laughs> sort of contradicts the whole purpose of so come back. <laughs> Would you stand? <laughs> so why do we gather on a Sunday 2,000 years later? Because we believe there is a Savior. We believe there is a Lord. We believe there is good news. And we believe there can be peace on the earth. And that all of those things are found in Jesus of Nazareth. And by the power of his shed blood and his Holy Spirit, that you and I now come into participation and relationship with him and his work. And that we now become peacemakers ourselves. So brothers and sisters, we invite you to the table this morning. As I get off of your cord. We invite you to the table this morning to participate in an act of worshipful and loving defiance. Lord Jesus... We give you this mo these moments. We give you these moments to just be reminded anew of how close, how radical, how loving you are. And God, I pray for those who are here today who are truly hurting. Those for whom peace just seems like a pipe dream. May you be present and bring comfort to their hearts in this act of worship.